All right, guys, welcome back, everybody. Uh, episode 44. 44. Um, we, uh, I apologize, we haven't posted one for a little while here. Um, we're we're going to record a couple uh, this week um, and have them kind of in the hole uh, to be able to post for you. I've got a couple short topics that I thought we would t- discuss. Um, sparked partially by the season. Um, some of these are, are, have been brought to my attention um, through messages, um, emails, uh, Facebook messaging, um, even some text messages. Uh, our number, our, our phone number is on the back of our product. That's my cell phone. So I do get t- random text messages from people I have no idea who they are. Um, and I respond 99.99% of the time. Um, very rarely, if ever, would I, would I not um, especially if it's dog related, I just don't know who you are. So sometimes I don't, I don't always have the, uh, enough information to give you an answer, but, um, I get a lot of text messages from people that I've met over the years, um, whether it be through workshops, whether they be clients that we've done dogs for, uh, whether they're friends, um, clients typically turn into friends. Um, we have, we just have really strong relationships with the people that we do business with dogs wise. Um, so, I thought I'd touch on it. It's tracking dogs. Um, we're going to talk about game recovery, and the reason I'm uh, the reason I think it's important to talk about it um, is because there have been several questions that have been um, very simple questions that um, some folks are a little confused with, um, and also because of the time of the year, I just think it's really important um, to take advantage of it. We are uh, we I have not deer hunted yet this year. It's already October. It's October 21st. I have not sat in a deer stand um, for a couple different reasons. Um, to be honest with you, one of them is I just haven't felt comfortable. I've got a new bow this year. Um, I did not shoot it enough yet, and so I need to shoot it more. Um, my I have uh, plans. I'm going to be taking a couple a week off uh, coming up in about two weeks. So I've got about I've got about two weeks, and I started shooting last week. So uh, I'm not, I'm not new to shooting a bow. It's just this is a new bow to me. Um, and just like anything else, you, you, there's some getting used to it. Um, I actually feel like I shoot bows just as good if they're new as if I've had it for 10 years. I just think it's a matter of having confidence. For me, it's a mental thing. The muscle memory part is there. Um, shooting is shooting. As long as it's sighted in properly, as long as everything is set up properly. And I've got a really good friend of mine who actually was a pastor of mine. And he's a bow hunting freak and he knows everything about bows and um, he sets my bow up for me every year Um, and so I have a ton of confidence in the setup it's just a matter of me relaying it into practice and repetition and I don't think that's different with many things in life Um, but so I haven't been in the woods because I just haven't felt comfortable um, to the idea of I've shot this bow enough I'm going to um, and I will be prepared and then with bow hunting with gun hunting with deer hunting comes opportunities for training as far as recovery. Uh, it also opportunities come where there's a necessity for game recovery. Um, for those hopefully mar- few times where there's marginal hits, um, the dog is my way of ensuring we've done everything we can possibly do um, to recover the deer if it is mortally wounded. And if it isn't, maybe the biggest value sometimes for me with tracking dogs is the idea that if it isn't dead, I can say with a lot of confidence we're likely going to get, or me or whoever it is we're tracking for, is likely going to get a picture of that deer again, or someone else is going to shoot it. Because if the dog doesn't find it, I'm really confident 
it's probably not dead. And the 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 reality when it comes to game recovery dogs is they don't always find them. And the reason is they're not always dead. And so that peace of mind, that understanding that you've done everything you can, um, morally, ethically, um, from a conservation standpoint, to try to not waste an animal like that, uh, that's to me peace of mind um, equal to the idea of finding it. Uh, obviously, finding it is a huge reward um, for for obvious reasons. But so when it, I want to talk about tracking because we've had several questions come up. And I, I don't think, I personally think, and I'm going to say this um, without hesitation, um, but I preempt it with the idea of there's a lot of really, just like anything else out there, there's a lot of really hardcore people that are into certain things. Um, tracking is no exception. Um, trackers, uh, tracking, you know, folks that have tracking dogs, trained tracking dogs. And I do think there's a difference between a trained tracking dog and a dog in training for tracking. Um, it's the level of experience. It's the opportunities that you give yourself and the dog. Um, there's so many variables that come into it. You can't be a tracker after you find one deer. Um, you can't be a tracker after you do a lot of training lines. Um, the real thing is a necessity and the more of it, the better you get. I don't think it's different than anything else. You know, you can be a carpenter and you can advertise yourself as a carpenter, but if you've never built anything, you're probably not as skilled as the guy who's done it for 25 years. Um, it's, there's, it's, it's clear that experience is necessary to get good at anything. Dog training. You can, anyone can call themselves a dog trainer, but if you've never trained a dog before, you're, not as, you're, you're likely not going to find the success that someone who has and done it for a long time with lots of different dogs will have. So, um, so I put that out there because I think trackers get really defensive. I don't consider myself a tracker. I don't consider myself a tracking service. I don't take tracks. Um, I don't have time to do my, I barely have time to hunt, much less go track for someone else. Um, it's not because I don't want to, it's because I don't physically have the time. I know there are people out there that do it and most of them have given up hunting. Um, historically what I've found is guys that are that into tracking and I, I get it because some of them don't have very good hunting and they get more excitement and more reward out of the idea of helping others recover deer. Um, and, and I, I think it's phenomenal. I think the opportunity to do that is phenomenal to have the opportunity. So legalizing it in different locations and States is just, I, I can't give enough credit to the United blood trackers. That's a group that we work closely with. I think you should all join it whether you're a tracker or not, uh, simply to support a group like them. They fight for, they lobby for, they do everything they can um, to educate um, the and, and create an understanding of the value of a dog that's trained to recover wounded, mortally wounded animals. So um, United Blood Trackers, we've partnered up with them on several occasions, and our partnership is not financial. We don't, they don't give us kickbacks. We don't give them kickbacks. Um, they are a, a group that we support. And so we do everything we can to try to grow awareness of them um, and and get as much support for them as possible. So that's my plug, a shameless plug, uh, for a nonprofit group, the United Blood Trackers, UBT. I mean, the UBT is, you know, Bella in the back, scratching on her bed, playing DJ. Bella, lay down. Um, the, 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 one of the things that UBT does is they provide uh, on their website, a place where you can try to locate a local tracker. 
Um, those anyone who's on there has some qualifications, um, and I'm not going to vouch for any or all of them. They do vet it a bit. So, um, but I just I'm a believer in the idea of a dog, even an untrained dog, has a better chance of finding a deer that we can't physically follow than someone who can't physically follow the deer. There's no visual signs or clues of it. Um, so I don't think, I'm not here, to, this podcast is not going to be talking about determining what warrants a good tracker or not a good tracker. And so I go off on this tangent because um, there are trackers out there that I've had discussions with, and typically we, we, we have pretty civil conversations about it. Um, but the there are some that become very, very protective of the territory. And I want to put it out there real clearly. I'm not a tracker. Um, I'm a dog trainer. I hunt everything with my dogs. I've used my dogs to successfully find deer that I otherwise would not have found. And to me, that is what a game recovery dog does. Um, and, and so how did I get there? How did I do it? Um, how, why am I getting text messages regularly? Why am I getting DMs and, and PMs and all this stuff through social media? Um, regularly of folks that are finding deer with their dogs because I think the reasoning is obviously they want to they were giving me feedback um, but a lot of them are people that have trained their own um, using our training products and I've had some questions come up about those training products that we're going to touch on this podcast and kind of straighten out and just hopefully make it a little easier to understand um, but also because I think the time of the year is right obviously it's mid to late October um, we've had six, eight weeks of hunting in some places. We're going to have another six, eight weeks of hunting left in most places. Um, these are opportunities, great opportunities for us to get dogs on tracks. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So products wise, we've got a, a kit. Um, it's called the game recovery kit. Uh, it's got all the tools and, and stuff in it that I use for prepping my dogs. You can go to our YouTube channel and you can watch a video where we introduced several dogs over the years to their first track um, and it's a training exercise um, i developed this we wrote we wrote a book we have a dvd um, we have a product line that that basically we we showcase in those two because those are the tools that we use and then we pr try to provide the information on how we do it um, we've also posted a lot of that stuff on our youtube channel uh, some of it's gone to Facebook first and then migrated to YouTube, but um, Instagram, a little bit more limited because of the amount of space and time, although we have done some IGTV stuff, right? Instagram TV stuff we've posted. Um, we just did a, a dog for uh, some friends of ours, a Belgium, uh, it was a Malinois Shepherd mix. Uh, they're going to use it as a tracking dog. We showed her with some early tracking. Um, that's on IGTV. It's also on YouTube. I think it's on our Facebook page. Um, Arrow was the dog's name. Uh, so we showed that. We showed some stuff with Tito. Um, Tito, I got a message. Tito is two. Uh, I think he's a little over two years old now. He made his first recovery this weekend. Um, so friends of ours that we trained him for sent me a text message with a picture of him next to a big doe down in Missouri. It was a, a marginal hit that was left overnight, and he went right to it in the morning. Um, so I think the success there was partially the dog, um, probably easy for the dog. Um, you know, gut shot deer are usually pretty, pretty uh, successful tracks for dogs if you set them up for it. And that means you got to leave the deer alone. They're not going to die very quickly. It could take 12, 16, 24 hours. If you go after that deer and push it, 
Um, a lot of things happen. You push it off a property that you can no longer track onto. That happens a lot. You give it an adrenaline burst that pushes it through some type of a cover that may be impenetrable to the dog. Maybe it swims across a river or a lake and you just can't get across it. So leaving a deer that is hit poorly is your number one chance of finding it, in my opinion. Now, some people are going to say push them and, and push them and, and fatigue the deer. I, there's a million different techniques to it. I, I, I believe in the idea of because of the properties that I hunt and train on, I have a better chance if I leave the deer to lay down and expire, um, my chances of recovering it are greater. Um, again, it varies where you're at and it varies on techniques and it varies on on personal opinions on how to do this. And there is no right way or wrong way to do it. There's lots of ways to do it. Some I think find more success than others consistently. And to me, that's what's important. But so Tito uh, made it for made his first recovery. Let it, they let the deer lay overnight and they found the deer dead. Um, I had friends of ours, Chris and Megan Smith, uh, made a recovery on a deer that was shot through the neck. Um, jumped that, that deer was jumped several times and eventually it was found dead in its bed. Um, I think it was 20 some hours later. Uh, eventually it had died and they had found and they located it um, for a hunter. Uh, so lots of this coming in, lots of customers that I don't know them personally, um, but I've gotten messages, um, several different breeds. I've had breeds that were um, traditional trackers, bloodhound. I have a guy that trained with a bloodhound this year um, and he's tracking a lot of deer and he went through a very tough stretch. I think he tracked eight or nine deer without finding them. And I cautioned him, I said, man, with a young dog like that, I'm not taking it on marginal hits. I'm not going to because if we don't find it and an inexperienced dog can struggle and if you don't find it, it becomes depressing, I think, to dogs. I think they find out that they uh, they feel like they've lost. They feel like they're not doing their job. That shuts them down. Uh, it's real hard for that. So I take young dogs on deer that I see tip over or the hunter sees tip over. I think you build this confidence early on. Um, I believe getting on as many as possible like that is really important. Um, and then you can start looking into some of these little bit more difficult tracks. That's my personal opinion. But I've gotten also gotten some messages from people that are going, what do I do with this hide? Um, do I put the blood trail scent on it right away? Um, so we do have a book that goes with it. We have a video that kind of mirrors the book. Um, I wrote the book and I did the video. I talk more than I write. So the video probably has a little bit more in-depth information on it. But here's your simple process um, that, that a lot of people, surprisingly, you've had this question. The real piece of hide that comes with the kit, I call it real hide because that's what it is. It's fleshed and tanned. We sh we, or not tanned. It's fleshed and dried and cured naturally. Um, no different than if you were putting up fur and sending it off to be tanned or sold. Um, it, it's preserved. Uh, by removing anything that will spoil. So, but the hair itself has a lot of scent. And so there's, there's um, particles and pieces, there's dander, there's uh, skin cells, there's all these things that dogs smell and they smell in layers. And I think understanding the idea of how dogs process scent is a real important part of understanding how to train a tracking dog. Um, I, we use this piece of hide and what we'll do is we'll add a scent that I make to it. And the scent I make has several, several elements that are found commonly uh, with a mortally wounded deer. Um, it's created into this liquid scent. I add the scent to the hide. I don't even do it right away. Uh, I start out 
personally, I start out with liver. I use a, a, a liver. You like a venison liver? You can use a beef liver if you don't have a venison. But um, I like to use liver drags. They're, they're, they're sweet smelling to the dogs. They're strong. They're confidence builders. They're simply teaching the dog that at the end is a reward. And in order to get to the end, I got to use my nose. Um, it taps into a very inherent trait to a dog. You got to remember the best tracking dogs are those that survived time. And the best tracking dogs were the wolves and the coyotes that were able to cut tracks of mortally wounded animals, track them down, burn less calories than it took than they were able to intake. So they, when they found something and killed it or found it dead, they got more return out of that calorie-wise than it took to get it. And so that's how you stay alive in certain situations that are demanding on you physically. And so good trackers evolved because the bad trackers died uh, in the wild. These dogs that we have have those traits. They have them that in them. And so as we, we get into the training part of it, I literally just start out with getting the dog to understand that it's a puzzle, it's a game, it's fun. At the end, you put the pieces together, you get the reward, and dad's real happy. Um, and so I use liver to start out. Then I go to that real hide, which comes in the kit. We also sell it as a separate item because I wrap my dummies with it. I put, I put it around a dummy. And my dogs get to pick that up and retrieve it. My dogs are driven by retrieve. I use it as a, a tool um, because they are retrievers. But when we use that hide, we soak it. So this is that process. And this is all in the book and it's all in the video. But you take the hide out and you put it in water. And you rehydrate it. And now all of a sudden, it comes alive from a bacteria standpoint. And it starts to create scent that is natural. I'll add scent to it at that point. When I'm done with it, I don't dry it back out. We did that for you already when we packaged it. We have guys that fleshed and dried these hides. We processed them. We put them in the packaging so that they won't spoil. And you buy it at Bass Pro Shops or Shields or Cabela's or... Farm, Tyson's Farms, all these different, all these different stores that sell our stuff, or online. You can get them right from our website. Um, but you get it from us. It's been prepared for you to be not spoiled. And then what happens is, is you put it in the water. Now, because you put it in the water, it will pull. The hair will pull out of it, and just like that's a sign of it going bad. So what you need to do is you hydrate it, you use it, you lay your trail. And then you put it in a Ziploc bag and then you put it in the freezer. And so once it's in the freezer, it's good. And then you take it out, you thaw it back out, you reuse it. Um, I can get a lot of uses out of a hide if it's prepared and, and taken care of that way. If you leave it out and it doesn't dry quickly, like you leave it out in the sun, it'll dry pretty quickly. Nice warm day, windy day in the sun. But if you leave it where it's damp or it's not going to dry quickly, it's going to go bad on you. Um, you need to get a different one. Uh, the hair will pull. You'll see that. Um, so that's the prop. That's the way I handle those. Now I talked about a second hide, and I do use a second hide, and I keep that on a dummy. I use our standard size dummies. Um, you can put it onto a large as well, but it's really built for a standard size dummy. Um, you, I hydrate it, so I do get it wet and get it flexible. I wrap it around the dummy, and then I'll tape it. I'll use electrical tape. And then I put it in the sun and I let it dry quickly. And it'll actually hold that shape of the dummy and then it doesn't spoil. And then I use that as a tool at the end of the trail. Um, I don't leave that scent. The one that I laid the trail with, I don't leave that at the end for the dog. I pick it right up and I put it in the Ziploc bag when I'm done with it, laying the trail. And I put it and I take it with me. And what I do leave is that dummy that has a hide wrapped around it. And that's a reward for my dog. That's for me, the dog get something. Um, I've, I've seen some people use food. 
And some dogs are really driven by food. Typically, my dogs are not driven by food as much as they are the retrieve, especially the little bit older ones. So um, I do think you can, you know, there's a lot of different ways to reward the dog at the end. Um, but I think there's got to be something there for them. Um, they got it. And, and then the timing of the praise for them to understand this is really what he wants me to do or she wants me to do. That's where the timing comes in. So training this time of year, preparing them, I, you know, I, I, again, I'm going to say this and I think some guys are going to be offended by it. Um, and I don't, I, I don't say that for this reason. I say it because I just truly believe that as an individual who is a hunter, and shoots a deer and wants their dog to help them recover it and become more efficient. Here's another reason why I think tracking dogs are great. Um, you know, they're great because for obvious reasons, they're great for finding deer that otherwise would be lost. That's probably number one. Um, it's a, it's a conservation tool. It's no different than a gun dog in a marsh or a gun dog in a CRP or a bird dog in a CRP field. You shoot a bird, you got to find it. Uh, you owe it everything to find it. You got to bring it home. Uh, you, you, you. It's as a hunter, we have to do that. Um, as a deer hunter, you shoot. You, you make the decision you're going to shoot a deer, and you shoot it, and you hit it. You got to do everything you can to recover it. Um, and so that's where I feel these dogs are just so powerful and so valuable. But when it comes to that, I want to make sure that here's another reason why I like it. So we're it's October 21st. I'm about a week or two away from going on a vacation and hunting. I'm not the only one who takes rutcation. I think a lot of people call it, they, you know, that first week in November, the woods are full of hunters. It's because deer do things that week that they don't do any other time of the year, and it increases our chances of killing mature deer or, or whatever deer you want to shoot. I don't care what you're shooting. Uh, if it makes you happy, shoot it. If it makes you happy and you're going to recover it and you're going to eat it, by all means, man, go for it. But we spend a very a huge amount of effort to not go in our woods. This is a personal thing. This is a style of hunting. Hunting on private land, we like to leave it unpressured. I feel like our chances of successfully killing the deer we want to kill is greater if we stay the hell out of there. Uh, if you're in there tromping around, it creates a lot of disturbance. And those deer aren't dumb and they realize, man, there's a lot of things going on here that maybe I don't want to be around. So for simplistic explanation, a tracking dog. I used I, I used to help out great friends of mine, outfitters, Bluff Bucks outfitters. Um, I trained their dog for them. Um, she's recovered. I, I'd go out on a limb to say probably hundreds of deer in the last six or seven years. Um, she's just she's a great little dog, little retriever, little British Lab, um, very similar similar to the dogs that we have right now. And one of the biggest assets she brings to the camp is the idea that during during that window, during that magic period of, of time in the deer woods, you have a, a, a shortened period where you got increased chance of killing a deer. And so let's say you hit one. Um, the traditional way, let's say you hit one and you can't find it. I've done this before because I've had to, where you get your group of buddies, you look, you look for it that day, you don't find it. And you go, man, we're going to look for crows the next day. We don't see anything. We're going to watch, you know, listen for coyotes. We don't, nothing. So we have no confirmation that the deer is dead, and but we think we killed it. So we're not going to give up. So what do we do? We get a group of guys or girls. We grid out this piece of property. 
and maybe it's 40 acres. There's a lot of people I know that hunt at 40 acres. And 40 acres with four or five guys gritting it and walking it and driving it out, basically looking for any clues or the deer itself is probably the only way to put your, put your mind at ease to say, he's not here or she's not here. The deer is not here. Now, what did you just do effectively to your property? You just drove it out. Uh, you've created a ton of disturbance. Any deer that you may have had living in a quiet sanctuary of it, and 40 acres isn't a lot of property. So it's hard to hold deer on 400 acres, much less 40. So it doesn't matter what size the property is, that technique is used to try to find wounded animals. And what it does is it creates Im immense disturbance to the woods. Now, let's say you hit a deer, and, and let's say let's say you hit it good. Let's not say let's say you didn't hit it poorly. Let's say you hit it good. I've shot a lot of deer that were there was no blood. Um, hell, my my kids shoot deer with two forty threes, and they've shot big deer with two forty threes. And I'll, that's a different different conversation. But the two forty three is a super um, load for for three hundred pound whitetails, and and you laugh at it, but I'll show you dozens of them that have gone down to the 243 with a 10 year old on the on the trigger um, a well-placed shot with the 243 is as deadly as anybody shooting any other magazine and I'll, i don't care what you say i've seen it so but the thing about the 243 is there's never an exit and and every deer we've tracked we never get a blood trail uh the deer's dead but we don't get a blood trail so even if the deer is hit well and we know it's dead it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a painted red carpet leading up to it. And so me as a hunter, I don't want to spend the better part of a day gritting off a 40-acre parcel or a 600-acre parcel or anything in between with a group of guys in order to recover that deer. Because yes, I'll do it if I have to, because I think we owe it to that deer. But the problem with it is, is good luck killing another one in the next week because of what we've done to it. Low pressure wins, in my opinion, when it comes to deer. So I use a dog, and that dog, you, uh, Bluff Bucks Outfitters, my buddies there, they bring the dog on every track. And even if it's not a good blood trail, and it only goes 100 yards, but it goes the direction that it always happens, it goes the wrong, it goes the wrong way, according to the hunter. It went this way. If the dog says it went this way. So if we follow, if we name the dog and we follow where the hunter said it went, we go and we follow and we go, oh my God, there's nothing here. Now what do we do? Now we start making little circles and we start looking for some type of an evidence of where the deer went. We're looking for a speck of blood, a hair, an arrow. But the dog went the opposite way, right? Within 50 yards, the dog made a hard turn and went the other way. So what do we do? Well, we follow the dog. The nose knows. So we follow the dog. And all of a sudden, 150, 200 yards later, in the opposite direction of where the hunter thought it went, we're on the deer. And it's five minutes. And in 10 minutes, we're out of the woods. And so our disturbance, our impact, our footprint on that woods is minimized greatly because we simply have a dog that brought us right to the deer. And so I think that has equal value to me as a hunter, quite honestly. Um, now, not equal to finding a deer that otherwise would have been lost. That's a, that's a moral thing. That's an ethical thing. That's a, hunt, that's a conservation thing. But just that aside, as a hunter, these things are, I mean, that's a tool. So I think now is the time because we have these opportunities. So as you're out there, I, I'm going to stress to people, I don't think you need to spend months preparing to track. I think if you're going to track for someone and you're going to charge money, I think maybe that's a different story. But I think 
that's a totally different topic again, and I don't even go down that road because that one really gets guys going. Uh, the idea of should you tra- charge or not, I, that's a personal decision, and I'm not going to make that for you. I personally don't charge myself. Uh, I don't track for strangers because I don't have time. If a friend calls me, if my family calls me, if I need it, we take our dogs. I take young dogs. I take clients' dogs because those are things that make sense for me to do. Um, but when we have opportunities, and quite honestly, we'll, we'll take, I like late season, uh, because we try to leave, this is a personal thing, but we try to leave as many does in the woods as possible till after the rut. And I've had, you know, I've biologists, I've just talked with people that know way more about deer than I ever will, and all that stuff. And they tell me how that's the wrong approach, and that's why you're not seeing all these big bucks moving on their feet during the season. And I say, yeah, maybe, that's it. We'll do, we do okay. Uh, we get our, we get, we do, we do fine. Um, my, my, my thought is I want the party that has the most girls, uh, the first two weeks of November, because the most girls get the most boys. Uh, I've been there. I've seen that. Um, so I, we, on our farm, we don't shoot does early. Um, and it's just our, just our, our approach. We le- we like, we like having a lot of does, um, maybe I don't see a lot of bucks moving around all day on their feet, but I know they're not moving around somewhere else because they, we don't have does. And so that's just a personal thing. But what late season we shoot does, um, I like to shoot does late season bowl. Um, it's great training opportunities. Uh, we get kids in our, we get kids out. We get our kids sitting blinds with heaters and yeah, I know I'll catch hell for that too. Hey man, I love it. Uh, it is a great opportunity for me to get a kid comfortably in the woods. We struggle enough to get kids in the woods these days. I'm going to do everything I can to make it comfortable. And quite honestly, for myself, I don't mind it either. Um, but we'll, we'll turn the heater on. We'll get a kid up there. We'll bring a crossbow. I mean, I'm, I'm all, I don't care. Uh, vertical bow, if the kids want to shoot vertical bows. Muzzle loaders, if it's muzzle loader season. But we'll let these kids shoot some does. I love shooting does late season. Uh, that's when we fill our freezer. That's when I make a lot of brats and sausage. Um, we eat a lot of venison in a year. Our family, we haven't bought beef in five years. So we shoot, we shoot four, five, six deer a year and we butcher them and we put them in our freezer. And that's what we live off. And so those are excellent opportunities for us to get dogs on tracks. Um, they're great training opportunities. And over the next two months, that's the window. And so I do, and maybe you do it differently. Maybe you shoot your does early. Um, that's fine too. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, there's probably some science to that. Uh, use those opportunities. I don't care. I went to college with a buddy, and this is before I had this business and before we had any training products or anything like that. But I went to college with a buddy, and we talked about tracking dogs back then. And he was from way up north, northern Wisconsin, Mercer area. And he told me a story, and it sticks with me because I used to have golden retrievers. I had a golden retriever with me that year at college. We were bird hunting with her. And he shot a deer. He told me a story about a golden retriever that his buddy had. And he, they had shot some deer, and they couldn't find them. And their dog was not trained. And they brought this golden retriever out, and the golden retriever found both of them. And if they hadn't done that, they wouldn't have found those deer. And so I just think, you know, for most people that listen to our podcast, for most people that you know, for most people that buy our products, um, for most people that follow us on YouTube or any of our social platforms, it's probably not the professional trainer that's been doing it for thirty years, and that's quite all right. Um, I, it, that I, everyone, everyone develops their own styles. I think it's mostly people that are looking for information, um, looking to develop their own style, looking to try things. 
um, looking because they're struggling maybe with some of the stuff they're doing. And so I think, you know, if you're listening, I encourage the idea of trying it. Um, I encourage the idea of giving it a shot. I encourage, I just wrote an article for Badger Sportsman. We do some work with Badger Sportsman magazine. I just wrote an article about um, versatile dogs and, and versatile dogs not talking about breeds or clubs or ribbons or anything like that, just versatility in things you do with your dog. Um, and the more stuff you do, the better I think they become as, as hunters in general. The more you hunt, the better you become a hunter. And that's everything, not just one specific specialization. Um, so that's, uh, I wanted to touch on some game recovery stuff. We're going to try to post that this week, I think. It's going to go out here in this week in October because it's the prime time, man. It's just, we're, we're embarking on an opportunity for you guys to um, probably harvest some deer. And I think developing your dog as a tool, not only is it fun, not only is it effective, um, it's not that difficult. And I think it's, um, it's for a long time, because it wasn't that common, it was looked at as a very specialty niche type thing. And some people that take it to a very high extreme level, it is. Um, for myself included and the majority of the people out there, I don't think it needs to be. I think, um, the value is you have your dog in deer camp this year and you find one doe on Sunday night because somebody shot it and they got to go to work on Monday and we, we're going to struggle to be able to recover that deer. So you have your dog there and you guys find it. It was a well shot deer. It wasn't the deer that had to lay overnight. You just couldn't find blood and you bring the dog and all of a sudden the dog found it and you got that deer in the back of the I'm going to say the minivan because I hunted with a guy this weekend that hunted out of a minivan. So you got the deer in the minivan and you're on your way home. And that's one less deer that goes to waste. So I, I, uh, I encourage you to try it. Um, I encourage you to reach out if you have questions. Um, those questions about how you handle the, the hide that comes in the kit was asked three times last week. So I thought I'd just specifically touch on that. Um, but the video, our game recovery video on our website, our kit, which is sold on our website, sold on Amazon, it's sold on a lot of retailers. Um, I encourage you, I think it's simple tools. I think it's relatively simple information that goes with it. Um, and it'll help you take that first step, if nothing else. Sometimes that's all we need is to take that first step. And a lot of times with the tracking specifically, it's so inherent to the dogs. I think that's all we have to do is expose them to it and let them do what they do naturally. And a dog, whether it's trained for a million years or it's been exposed to a little bit of tracking, training, and really the, the benefit of it is, is to, the benefit of training is to give us an opportunity to read the dog and have an understanding of whether the dog is on something or not. Because those are all situations that we've set up and we can see how they handle it. And then we can relay that and connect that and use that as a conduit to when we actually are on a track and realize, hmm, her body language looks like she's on it. Uh, looks like she's off of it. Oh, there she's reading now that she's on it. So we can transfer that training experience to the real thing. Um, and that, that's what's going to help us out uh, when it comes to getting it done and finishing it out in the field. So that's it. It went a little over a half hour, but not terribly. Um, I, I want to thank you guys for your support with this podcast. Um, way, just all of a sudden, we're just kind of snowballing with response um, 
and, it, and it's just greatly appreciated. I was at a high school last week. If you follow us on Instagram, you saw we were at a high school working. I asked, how many kids listen to podcasts? There was 70 kids in the stands and two of them listen to podcasts. So you're probably not a high schooler listening to this and that's fine. Um, I, I'm interested in finding out who is listening to it. If you want, if you would, you know, give us some feedback. There's a place for you to review it. Whatever app you're on, I use Apple. I, I use Apple's podcast app. Um, ben, what are some of the other ones that we're um, on that you could find? There's it? one for like the Androids. Is it Android Google? has their own. Right. Google, I think, has a podcast app. There's several different ones out there. And so if you wouldn't mind, and I know how the Apple one works. Um, you scroll down to the very bottom and it gives you a spot. You can review it. You can give it a number of stars. And then you can actually leave like a comment. Um, if you would, I would really appreciate it. I look at those. Um, because to me, it's a, it's a representation of who we're touching, what they're getting out of it, what can we do better, um, if there are things that we can do better. Um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, email, Jeremy at Dogbone Hunters, my email. Uh, contact us on our website. There's lots of different ways to give us feedback. So um, I encourage you to do that. I ask you to do it as a favor. Um, and, and, and please, please, uh, Keep us kind of posted with your thoughts and feedback because uh, I don't do these podcasts for me. Um, I don't do them for Ben. Um, sorry, Ben, but I don't, I don't do it for you. Uh, we do it because we're finding that people are in search of and seeking out information. And if and I can't train your dog. Um, I can't physically, I don't bring dogs in. We don't physically have the space time available, the resources to do it. So but I can and want to help as many dogs as possible. And so this is just one of the avenues um, that we're trying to, to build and develop and push. Um, and, the, and it's gotta be interactive um, because like I said, I don't do them for me, we're doing them for you guys. And the way we'll get better at it is, is getting, getting and receiving the feedback. So thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, we'll be back. This was number 44. Mm -hmm. This is number 44. Uh, we'll continue pumping them out. And uh, good luck to you guys this season. I, I, this is the best time of the year. Enjoy it. Um, now, that's an opinion, I guess. But enjoy this time of the year. Share it with as many people as you can. Um, and, and, and have fun. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having as much fun these days training dogs as I ever have. And damn, it's refreshing. And it makes it go a lot better. It makes it a lot easier. Um, we get a lot more done that way. So I encourage you to embrace that mentality as well. And I think you'll see the results similar. So good luck, guys. Keep me posted. <laughs>